Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. God started talking to me about the sermon a couple of months ago, and uh, I tell you what, if you got to look up one scripture, only one, uh, would you open your Bible to, uh, I tell you what, let's do this one. Uh, hold it t- for later, it's 1 John 4, 16. If you got a Bible, open up to that one. We're bouncing around quite a bit. We will wind up there, and I want you to get that verse. All right, so I had a dream that an ocean, the ocean was filled with orange soda. It was a fantasy. All right. What do you call a construction worker that falls off a roof? An ambulance. <laughs> that one, I, I told that somebody the other day, and like three minutes later, they're like, I don't get it. So, you know the old, what do you call somebody that blah, blah, blah? Well, what do you call somebody that falls off the roof? Well, they need an ambulance. Anyway, whatever. Anybody have an issue with fear? Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about fear and uh, I asked them what it was they they were afraid of and they said well I'm afraid of unmet expectations you know I have expectations of myself other people have expectations I'm afraid of being alone I'm afraid of the unknown you know like death it's not dying that bugs me it's what's unknown about it I'm afraid of losing control and what they said was really good. Every single fear that they just mentioned was attached to something they had lost in their past. And I want to talk to a culture that seems to be paralyzed by fear. Um, Christian music, for example, it seems every other song I hear on the radio, every other worship song is talking about how we overcome fear. Why the, uh, why the constant motion around that? Uh, do you know last year the number one verse looked up on Version Bible app? The number one verse had to do with fear and anxiety. So apparently we've got an issue. Uh, thank you, Pastor Israel, for preaching last week, talking to us about anxiety. And I uh, appreciated that. I didn't know what he was going to preach about. And I've been working on this sermon for literally months. And, uh, and I didn't realize it was going to be a follow-up. I'd put it on the schedule, decided this was going to be the Sunday I preach it, even though I've been working on it for months. And I didn't realize I would follow a sermon with anxiety on a sermon about fear. So maybe God wants to talk to us today. But um, fear is the fire that boils the water of your anxieties. Fear is the fire that boils the water of your anxieties. So he talked to us about anxiety, and I'm, I want to talk to you about the, boy, the thing that causes anxiety in our culture. Before I do that, let me share a story just to let you know. Me, personally, uh, when we were building this building, I lost control. There were a bunch of things I lost control of. The, uh, the people we hired were cheating us out of money, and we were too far in the process to fire them, and it would cost more to go through than it was to put up with their junk. So we fought with them every day, and there was so much garbage that was going on. And uh, I, I, I started, by the way, I had panic attacks. Now, panic attacks are about anxiety that you had six weeks ago. 
Your body's just manifesting what you've been dealing with for six weeks. So into the process, I started having panic attacks. If you've never had panic attacks, it's never any fun to be laying on the floor, shivering uncontrollably, and you can't do anything about it. Uh, I been, was there, been there. It even, I lost feeling in the side of my face for the better part of six weeks. It was not good. I tell you all that not to get you to pity me or anything, but to let you know that I do understand a little bit. Now, some of you, now I've talked to people about fear, and they're like, you don't understand, you don't, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I don't understand you, and you don't understand me, but could we have respect for one another in our approach to this discussion? I want to respect you, but I would ask you to respect me in the fact that I have dealt with stuff, and I learned some stuff through the process. And what I would like to do is I would like to help you learn how to overcome some of this stuff. Is that all right? All right, good, good. I understand. I don't know everything. And in 30 minutes, I can't tell you everything you need to know. Some of you have chemical issues. If you have chemical issues, all the talk therapy in the world will not fix it. You need to see a good, a good uh, professional that can help you deal with that. There's no shame with that. I take, uh, I take thyroid medication every day. It keeps me, me from getting depressed and losing control. And none of you would look at me and say, he's weird. Well, yeah, maybe all of you would. But that's all right. Uh, there's no shame if you need, if you have a chemical issue that you need help, there's no shame in that. The other thing is, if you have unresolved issues that we're not going to fix in 30 minutes and we're not going to fix at an altar, there are unresolved issues that are lighting these fires, then you need to get some professional help as well. We can't fix in 30 minutes what you need to do the hard work of fixing, okay? Do we understand that? That understood? But I do want to talk to you about some thinking that I believe if you will embrace it, will help you in a way that's appropriate. Here's my concern. My concern is we have allowed healthy fear to be replaced with unhealthy fear. You know, God has given you healthy fear for a reason. To save your life. Without it, you will die. But fear has become a tool of Satan to oppress and distract people because we have allowed it to be unhealthy in our lives. Now, several years ago, me and my wife went to Pikes Peak. If you have never been to Pikes Peak, it's out in California, Colorado. Uh, the eastern side of Colorado is pretty flat, and then you drive along, there's some foothills, and then out of nowhere, there's a 14,000-foot peak that has snow cover year-round, 14,000 feet. Oh, it was amazing to see. We drove up, me and my wife and the kids, the three kids and my wife and me, we go up to the top, and up at the top of Pikes Peak, there are some rocks with drop-offs that are three or 400 feet off the other side of the drop-off. Now, I'm not afraid of heights. I, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of heights. No, actually, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of dropping. No, actually, I'm not afraid of falling. I'm afraid of the sudden ending at the end of the fall. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, so, if I'm going to get on a, a cliff that's 400 feet tall to the bottom of the hill uh, with my kids... Um, Wow, did I say I took my kids on a cliff that's three or four hundred feet drop off? Why, why would I do that? Well, I would do that because the view was really great from there and I wanted them to experience all of God's creation, not just what they could see from the car a hundred yards back there. And my wife is like, the kids are going to fall over. No, we got, we got to the edge. I just didn't get to the edge. Do y'all know what I'm saying? 
The fear that I have of the sudden ending at the bottom of the drop kept me from the edge while I was able to look over the edge. Healthy fear keeps you from going too far, but unhealthy fear keeps you from getting close enough to enjoy life. Are, are y'all following me here? All right. So what I want to talk to you about today is how healthy fears have become amplified because we have an unhealthy foundation. Healthy fears have become amplified. The fear of loss, the fear of being alone are amplified because we have an unhealthy foundation. Fear and tension and anxiety are all normal. If you don't have them, then you're not responding to problems. The problem is, is that in our culture, we want to take a pill and fix it. Rather than we want to plant a seed and overcome it. Now the kingdom of God is in planting seeds. Our culture is in pop a pill. That's the reason America uses more, more drugs, legal drugs, prescribed drugs than any other nation of the world per capita. Because you're so impatient, you don't want to work through any problems. You just want to pop a pill and get it over with. You don't believe me that you're impatient? Just sit at McDonald's line for two minutes waiting for somebody to answer. I was there the other day. Some dude, we pulled up and they didn't answer fast enough. And you know what he did? He drove away. Now he took the time to pull off the road to come there, but they didn't move quick enough for him, so he drove away. Because we are at our root in this culture, impatient to the point that it's killing us. So when it comes to fixing problems, we want a pop a pill approach. I just read a book by a guy who wrote, who wrote the DSM number three. If you don't know what DSM, it's the, what they use to, to um, diagnose uh, mental disorders. Well, the DSM number three, the author of that said, we've got a problem when DSM five came out because everything now is a disorder and everything is to get a pill. He said that, and, and it's facts, I looked it up several different ways. Over 50% of anti-psychotic medicines, things that have to do with depression, anxiety, are, they're, they're prescribed by local physicians who don't know anything about it, or very little. I mean, they know a little, but they don't know a lot. So you go in, you say, oh, I have trouble, I'm depressed this time of year. Well, here's a pill. And, and what the guy said who wrote the DSM, this guy who wrote the DSM, was in charge of writing the DSM. He said most of us within six months will self-modulate to the point that we deal with those anxieties and those depressions and those fears. Most of them are within six months, but we can't wait six months and do the right things for six months to overcome most of them. So now we have a multitude of people that are on drugs you don't need. Now, I'm not saying all drugs are bad. Did you all hear me? I did not say that. As a matter of fact, I said several minutes ago, some of you should be on them. <laughs> Correct? Correct? All right, okay. So I just want to... Now, in the kingdom of God, do you know how we fix things? We plant a seed. 
What do you do when you plant a seed? Well, you have to take care of that seed while it matures and grows, and then you can, you can, the kingdom of God's like a seed planted in the ground, and over time it grows to become a big tree. Acorns become big trees, but it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time and work and care. So I want to challenge you to change the way you think about your tensions, anxieties, and fears. I want to challenge you to adjust, readjust the priorities of your life so that you can be healthy to deal with problems five years from now that would make you flip out today. This is a hard message today, and you think this is hard. I'm just warming you up. I'm about to say some stuff that's going to get up in your grill. It's intended, though, to give you a seed of hope. I am not here to fix your problems, but to give you the seed that will plant hope in your heart so that you can overcome these things. So if you have to leave early, let me give you my key thought. You ready? The fear of God provides a foothold to overcome all other fears. The fear of God provides you with a foothold to overcome all your other fears. When I'm talking about fearing God, what I'm talking about is putting all of your life and fears in perspective. Now, when I stand here, and I'm looking at Johnny Slattery back there, I, uh, I can see Johnny, but I can see everything else in this room too, right? But when I intentionally focus through my binoculars on Johnny, oh, oh, sorry, I just... <laughs> no, when I zoom in on Johnny... Do you know what I can't see when I'm all focused on Johnny? I can't see anything else. And I, I think we have a perspective problem that we're, we're spending all our time looking at Facebook and Insta and TikTok and we're spending all of our time looking at all the stuff going on and we're not focused on God, and because we're not focused on God, these fears are overwhelming and these anxieties are overwhelming where if we would focus on God, all these other things would take a secondary nature in our life. So if you would, stand to your feet in honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is from Mary's song. This is Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus. And this is her song she sang when she found out she was pregnant with a child but no, didn't have a daddy and wasn't married. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. For he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His, holy is his name. By recognizing his holiness and his greatness, that led her to say this. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to your word, and I pray that our hearts would be open to the work you want to do in this place today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Give somebody a high five for your seat and tell them you look good today. Hey, if you're joining us online, I'm glad you're here. High five. I can't say you look good because I can't see you. All right, the fear of God. Let's talk about the fear of God. Why should we fear God? 
Well, the fear of God is based on a simple reality. Now, I told you this sermon's been brewing for several months. Several months ago, I was reading my Greek New Testament. As I was, I slowed down and I paid attention to something I probably read a dozen times before in my life. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill your body. Do not have fear for those who even kill your body. Instead, rather, you should be afraid of the one. Not many things. The one. It's very intentional. How many? The one who has the power to destroy you. Not just give you a little pain. Destroy both your body and your soul in hell. There is one that has the power to annihilate you, to destroy you, to take away your very existence, your very soul. He has the power to squash you like a bug on a rug. He has a power to make you like the french fry left in the McDonald's hot grease for three days. He has that power. He has that power. And most of us, we don't recognize that anymore. But if we're to be wise, if we're to be a people that overcome fear, we need to understand who we should fear. You should be afraid of the one who has the power to annihilate you, to destroy you, to take away not only your physical life, but your soul and your existence. In the fire of hell. You say, that's not very loving. Well, we can talk about that in a second, but let's just ask. Has God ever done it? You remember Ananias and Sapphira? You remember them? What happened? They lied to God. What did God do? God said, no, 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 not today. And he, they, they dead, fell dead. Ananias fell dead. A few minutes later, his wife comes in. She lies too, dead. Bang. Right? What about Uzzah? Y'all remember Uzzah? He's walking along. He didn't fear dishonoring God by touching the Ark of the Covenant. He reached out his hand. What happened to him? Dead right then on the road. What about, what about Korah? Yeah, what happened to them? No, that wasn't normal. The earth literally swallowed up and had a Korah lunch. <laughs> him and his entire family ate them, sucked them in, killed them, closed up on them and buried them alive right there dead now. You know what the results of every one of those were when you read the scripture? What was the result? What did everybody who saw it do? They feared. They feared those. If God's going to do that, he might do that to me. And they feared. And what, what happened out of those moments of fear is God's people recorrected to do what was right. Because those people, you're right, were disobeying God. They were doing wrong. They were dishonoring God. And God said, no, I ain't putting up with it. You should be afraid of a God that has done that. This isn't, this isn't theory. This has happened. What would happen if we entered the presence of God with a little bit of that kind of fear rather than just sort of walking and going, oh, whatever, it's church. I tell you what might happen. Our lives might get straight and we might straighten out our world around us and then the whole country might get straight. But that, don't, you know. By the way, most of us will never do right without the fear of negative consequences. 
Those of you that are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Your children, you did not train them to do wrong. You did not give them doing wrong lessons. Am I correct? But you have to give them doing right lessons. And the way you give them doing right lessons is if they continue to disobey, there must be consequences. This is your nature. This is my nature. This is our nature. We have a God that has told you what the consequences will be if you continue to disobey him. If you continue to disobey him, he is able to destroy you, not just your body, but your very being in the fires of hell. My kids, we had a, we had a what do you call that, a, a sidewalk that when they were playing ball and stuff, they didn't cross sidewalks. You know why they didn't cross sidewalk? Because the road was on the other side. They didn't understand. They were little. They didn't understand you don't cross the road. But they feared dad enough not to cross the sidewalk. So none of them got run over in the road. But what would have happened if dad, they wouldn't have feared dad. If they wouldn't have feared dad enough not to cross the sidewalk, then they would have been in the middle of the road with people doing 85 and a 35. But don't get me started on those people. I want to, anyway, you know those strips you throw out the pop tires? There's a couple of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what this kind of fear does? This kind of fear kicked off the first great awakening in the United States. There's a guy named uh, Jonathan Edwards. If you don't know about him, he was a preacher in Massachusetts. And he was a pastor of a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. And he preached a message that had such an incredible uh, response that it sparked a change in the entire nation. It was July 8, 1741, the second time he preached it. They invited him to a church at a place called Enfield, Connecticut. And there the reaction was even more profound than the beginning. And it kicked off what's known as the First Great Awakening. Now the title of this sermon is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And his premise was, is God has watched you sin and he is so mad at you for your sins that he is ready to destroy your fire or your body and soul in hell. Can I read some words? Yeah. All right. This is what he said. The God who holds you. Oh, by the way, he, he was hard to see. And he didn't preach this sermon. He read it over his podium. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some other loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadly, uh, dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful and venomous serpent is in ours. This sermon would not play well on Christian TV today. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without a promise or obligation at all that keeps that arrow in one moment from being made drunk on your blood. It would be a wonder, he says, 
if some that are now present should not be in hell in a very short time. Before this year is out, and it would be no wonder if some persons that now sit here in this meeting health house in health and quiet and secure should not be in hell before tomorrow morning. If I were to read you all the words of this, he is very adept at describing to us God is ready to squish you. That fire, you're dangling by a spider's web over the fires of hell and the flames are licking at the very web that holds you and it's consuming them and you're about to drop into the pit of hell for your sins which are unrepentant. And that's the language he used. And by the way, this kicked off the first great awakening and in 35 years, the United States because of the Great Awakening, had declared that they would no longer be mistreated by a foreign government, and they had declared their independence and established a nation based upon the principles and attributes of the Word of God. And you can read it whether you like it or not. I don't care what your history teacher says. John Adams, who wrote most of the Constitution, is a better Christian than anybody in this room, me included. And he wrote from the Word of God, declaring our values from the Word of God. And even George Washington said, said that we cannot have a government, a republic that operates where there is freedom without basing it upon the laws of God and his word. Why would they make such statements? Because a few years earlier there was a revival that spread across the entire continent that said God deserves to be feared and if we don't honor him then we deserve to perish. And it was that fear of God that propelled the freedom. Oh, come on. You know what my fear is? Let me tell you what my fear is. My fear is that we have an entire generation of young men and ladies that are growing up in a culture that tells them, you should not be afraid of God. Do whatever you want, whenever and however you want. And you're going to grow up in that environment and you will not fear God. Therefore, the changes of freedom that should come to generations behind you will not be made because you don't fear God enough to do the right thing. That is my fear. For that to change, it starts here. If you're not afraid of God, you're not smart. What's the benefit of fearing God? You get smart. Can I make this quick? Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom. The fear of God doesn't give you everything you need, but it gives you a starting point. It gives you a foundation that is healthy. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom keeps you from living in a way that brings more fear. Hold on, I'm going to say that again. Wisdom, wisdom keeps you from living in a way that brings more fear. What kind of fear? Well, the fear of consequences. Let's say you're stealing on the job and you get caught. You should be afraid all the time because as soon as you get caught, you're going to get fired. Or you're cheating on your spouse. As soon as you find out, they're going to hit the fan. You know, come on. All right? Or cheating or using drugs or sexual deviancy. The fear of ongoing results of bad behavior or broken relationships, lost jobs, uh, unemployment, all kinds of things, sickness. All right, so the fear of God. Robin and I feared God when we got, when we got, um, we were dating. I was 21, and believe it or not, I'm a real dude, all right? You can't. 
tell me I'm not a real dude. Come on. <laughs> I'm a real dude. And I was dating a, a real young girl who was a real lady, if you know what I'm saying. And we were dating, and, and uh, <clears throat> let's just say that there was some passion involved with that dating relationship, right? But we feared God, so we made up our minds we would not have sex before marriage. We wouldn't even get close to it. We didn't even get close to having sex before marriage. By the way, you can go to find out if I'm compatible. Listen, you can kiss a girl and know whether or not she's compatible or not. That's all I'm going to say. I never doubted whether or not there was compatibility because as soon as I kissed her, I was like, oh, we got to back off right now, girl. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right. I'm just saying. You know why we didn't have sex? We didn't have sex because we feared God. By the way, if you're having sex before marriage or outside, outside of marriage, it is still a sin. It is destructive to you. You are not doing what is right. And you know what happened because we didn't have sex before marriage? We never worried about getting pregnant. Was never worried. We didn't have to even have to have a talk about it. You know why? We didn't have sex. You know what else? I actually got to know her. Because I wasn't pawing on her all the time. I actually got to know her as a person. She got to know me and she still married me. She is brain dead. <laughs> no, I, I, we actually got to know each other. You know what else? We had confidence in other areas of our life. Do you know why we had confidence in other areas of life? Because we knew we weren't dishonoring God with what we did in secret. We lived with confidence. Some of you don't live with confidence because of what you do in secret. The fear of God causes us to not do that. So when you fear God, you do what is right and just and fair. Proverbs 1 1 through 7 says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Why do we have the Proverbs? Book of Proverbs. They're for gaining wisdom, instruction, understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Sounds like a horrible life to live, doing what's right, just, and fair, right? No, this is how we all ought to be living, right? So giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding life. You know, proverbs and parables and things that are too big to understand. Well, you can understand the sayings and the riddles of the wise. Do you know what that is? That means you have common sense. And common sense is not common anymore. Because we live without thinking and without reflecting, and therefore we have no fear of God. We don't think, we don't reflect, and we don't apply God's truth to situations, and therefore we're in a lot of trouble. And notice it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this knowledge. But fools, they despise it. You know, 17 times in the book of Proverbs, all about wisdom, it says to fear God, fear the Lord. So notice this fear is the starting point for a healthy life. So fearing God gives you also understanding. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and holy one is understanding. Isaiah 33, 5 and 6, the Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. Uh, he will be the sure foundation. Notice this, the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And what is this? The fear of the Lord is the key to unlock these things of sure foundation, salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. 
What am I talking about? It's this. Several years ago, me and my wife took the whole family. We were down at a beach, and we took all the kids, and we got jet skis or the wave runners, whatever it was, and we're out on the ocean riding around on these things. And Robin has one, I have one, and I think I've got two kids on mine. She's got one kid on her. We're cruising along out there. And all of a sudden, dun up. Dun, right there where we were, we were stopped talking, and the fin comes at us. Dun, uh, dun, uh. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. So what happens immediately? There was fear, all right? Fear, because we've all seen Jaws, right? So fears. So um, I do have, though, Mr. Young, uh, knowledgeable of all, all animals in the entire world, who knows their Latin names and what they look like. And Pastor Matt is sitting there with me and he turns around and looks at it and says, hey, Dad, that, that's not a shark. That's the dorsal fin of a dolphin, of a bottlenose dolphin. <laughs> what happened to our fear level? <laughs> then we start seeing them like this, doing the dolphin thing. And is there any fear anymore that Jaws is going to eat us? No, what happened to the fear when a little knowledge was inserted into the situation? Are, are y'all getting this? Some of you live in fear and God's trying to give you knowledge about how to deal with your finances and your relationships, but you won't fear them long enough to actually deal with it the way he says to. All right. So what, th then we come to the next thing I want to say about fear is perfect love casts out fear. Love casts out fear. There seems to be a paradox here. We're to fear God who can destroy us, but yet God is love. How are we supposed to fear a God of love? Catch this, y'all ready? Real love demands consequences for destructive behaviors. I know we live in a culture that says love is love. I love, I love, I love, therefore I can do anything I want to with anybody, anyway, anyhow, and you have nothing to say about it because love is love. <laughs> and I wasn't making fun of anybody, I was just simply saying the way I hear it in my ears. From everybody. Love is love, love is love, love is love. Oh yeah? Love is not love unless it demands healthy behaviors. There are boundaries to love. You don't believe it? I've been married for 34 years. And I, my wife loves me. She married me. I still have no idea why. She married me and she loves me. And she loves me to this very day. She loves me so much. She takes care of me all the time. She loves me. But let's just say, I decide I want to cheat on her. And let's say I want to take the money out of our savings account and start blowing it on strippers. And then I come home drunk and I cuss her out about it. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Those of you that know my gentle wife. Will there be consequences? What? But she loves me. And love is love. Yeah, she's going to love me to death. You find my body in the bottom of the river. Hold on. Do, do you get what I'm saying to you here? Because we live in a culture that's twisted this. Do you know, since God is love, he demands proper behavior out of you because he doesn't want you hurting those other people he loves. Love demands 
consequences for destructive behaviors. But at some point, what happens if you grow up and you have a fear of God, that fear of God turns into love for God. And that fear of God means that you don't offend God, not because you're afraid of what he's going to do to you, but you're afraid of what you do is going to hurt him. Because true love is more concerned about the object of their love than they are about themselves. My dad. My dad was six foot four, went about 230 most of his life. And I, when my dad was in his prime, I never saw him grab anything that didn't move under the power of his hand. And when I was about six, seven years old, well, one day when I was six years old, my dad got a hold of me. And I learned what fear was. And I feared my dad when I was a kid. When he'd walk up to the door of our room and he'd stay in the room, you know, he filled the door frame. And he would say, boys, that's enough. And I don't care what was going on. It stopped at that moment. Don't make... We live in a culture that for years has been emasculating men. And we wonder why our culture is losing their ever-loving brain with fear and anxiety and destructive behaviors. It's because we've emasculated men for 50 years and then we're wondering why our culture's falling apart. Listen to me. A good, healthy fear of dad is a good thing for kids. Mom, it's all right. Mom, it's all right. So anyway, I was afraid of my dad. So therefore, I hated him my entire life. No. No. I remember when I was 19 years old, I came home from college. I was in good shape. And uh, me and my dad decided we were going to have a wrestling match. Because that was what we'd done my entire life. And dad was always like fighting the concrete wall that would never move. But that day, I'd gotten older, I'd gotten stronger, I'd learned more moves from a couple other fights I'd been in. <laughs> and I, I moved on dad, and I knew I had him. I knew I had him. All I had to do was just move, and he was mine, and he would tap out. And I'm a 19-year-old guy, and I remember backing off and not making that move. And that was the last time me and my dad wrestled. Do you know why it was the last time me and my dad wrestled? Because I respected him so much that I didn't want to dishonor him. I loved him so much, I respected him. So it is with the fear of God, it is the beginning of wisdom, but at some point you need to go beyond the fear of God into a loving relationship with God that enables you to act out of respect rather than out of fear of punishment. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, this is where I told you we were going. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, so that we will have what? Confidence on the day of judgment. God wants you to live confidently. That's how you overcome fear is the confidence of living in his love. Because you know God loves you, he won't allow anything to touch you that is outside of what is best for you. You don't have to fear everything. Amen. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? It drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
And the one who lives in that ongoing fear is not made perfect in love. God wants you to be perfect in his love. Because we're like Jesus, we can live in God's love. Because we fear God and honor him, God's love covers us and it drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with consequences. And because we fear God, we do not worry about consequences because we act rightly. All right, so final thing. What if everything goes haywire? What if I fear God? And then the entire world goes haywire and pain comes at me from all these circumstances. Well, that's why all throughout the Bible you find one phrase over and over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Remember he said it to Mary. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. What did she have to be afraid of? Well, she was a single girl who's going to have a baby. We know that her husband could have and should have divorced her. So we got alone now. But not only that, she's now used up goods in that culture and she wasn't going to get married again in the future. So there was a possibility they were going to stone her, kill her. And if she did live, she was going to live in poverty because she had nobody to take care of her. Are those fears? And the angel says to her, don't be afraid. And what happened? She said, I fear God more than I do those fears. Let it be to me as you have said. And let me ask you a very simple question. Do you look at Mary and say, poor, poor, poor Mary? No. No. How do you look at Mary's life? You say she is blessed. Right? I can mention them over and over and over again. Gideon, Joseph, Daniel. Come on, how many names do you need to hear? Don't be afraid. What did all of them, don't be afraid? They were all people who feared God, who were facing overwhelming, impossible consequences, and God says, don't be afraid, and every one of them overcame at some level. Even the ones who died overcame, like Stephen. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. (laughs) And he overcame. So what I want to tell you is this, if you have the right foundation, the fear of God is within you and you're covered by God's love, you don't have to be afraid of all the persecutions and things in this world. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14, but even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Don't be frightened. <laughs> but in your hearts... Keep Christ as Lord. Revere him. Fear him as Lord. 2 Timothy 1 second. For God did not give you a spirit of fear or delia. Delia is a, it means you're cowardice. You're feminine. You back up from a fight. You run away. Don't run away from the fights. But God, because God has given you a spirit of power and of love. Love and a sound mind to think properly about it. If you fear God, you will have those things in place to handle the thousand fears that come your way. All right. I'm, I got, I got to end with this image. All right. Put it in image up on the screen and I thought of a way to illustrate this the best way I could come up with this is you in the middle this is you and if you have the fear of God it is a protective coating around you to keep you focused on the right things and that fear of God enables you then to walk and step into the love of God, which is a protective coating of you. If you will, the, the fear of God is a hard shell around your heart. But the love of God is like this big squishmallow that, that surrounds you. And those thousand other dots out there, those are all fears that you have every day. 
The fear of, am I going to be alone? The fear of, will I have enough? The fear of what's going to happen that I can't control. And if you have all of those fears, you're focused on God, the fear of God, the love of God, what's going to happen is all those other fears, when they attack you, they're going to squish mellow into the protective coating of the love of God, and they're going to bounce off of you because of the fear of God that holds your heart. But if you don't have the fear of God, then you don't have the protective layer of the love of God. And all of those thousand fears are going to come at you. And you're not going to know where to dodge or what to do. But if you fear God, you know I am right. My conscience is right before God. And the love of God means that he has a purpose for me. No matter what comes my way, God still has a purpose for me. I don't have to be afraid of this stuff because I know God loves me and he has a purpose for me. And you can live in, you're ready for the word? Confidence. Yeah, you're still going to have all those fears. You're going to have all those struggles. But you can live in confidence. Now, God spoke to me. I am very seldom use words like this, but God told me to preach the sermon to you. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to do it. And I chose to do it. And this week, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me about what he wants to do in this moment, in this room. We were... Uh, Actually, I was on my face calling out to God, and, and, and I believe he made it very, very clear to me. If you walked in this room today in bondage to a spirit of fear, if you walked into this room today and the devil has you bound up with fear, before you walk out of those back doors today, you can be free. Actually, I'm going to say you will be free. Now, when you walk out of those back doors, you can choose to go back to living the same way and all, get it worse. But God's going to do a work at this altar in just a moment, and you will be free from the spirit of fear. You're going to have to plant a seed and change the way you think and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying everything's going to get perfect, but I will tell you, that demonic spirit that is on you that keeps you in bondage will be broken off this morning period. That's what God told me to tell you. That's what I'm telling you. And by faith I declare it that you will be free today in the name of Jesus. Change how you think. Change how you live. Go see a counselor if you need to. You do what you need to do. But, but listen to me. You will be free. I'm going to ask you to take a step. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet, if you would, everybody in the room. And if you're a person this morning, you need that spirit of fear broken off of you. I want you to come across, come stand across this altar. Maybe you want to kneel, I don't care. Just come on, stand up here across this altar.